0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. So we now had an FBI search of the former President Trump's. Now we have an FBI sure. search into President Biden's residence. What's your assessment uh, of how the president has handled this situation?
1: Well, I mean, it's just hard to believe that, that uh, in the United States of America, we have a former president and a current president. They're basically in the same situation. How does this happen? You know, the only thing I can tell you, Chuck, is when I go into the SCIF with the secured documents, they always ask, are you clean when you walk out? They want to make sure you're not carrying anything out. You know, and it might be a mistake. You might just put it in your other papers, but you double check right there. So that, uh, to be held accountable and responsible is what we all are. And to put those in
2: unsecured spaces is irresponsible. So there you have Joe Manchin. I'm sure the White House wasn't that happy with his quote uh, saying that they, that that Biden and uh, and Trump are in, in essentially the same position because they're really not, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But in the in the uh, mixed master of politics, it may sure it sure may seem that way, Murphy. And you know, we got a guy with us today who uh, used to lurk in those precincts there in the White House.
1: We do, yeah, you know, probably. We he's do. got a
2: beautiful bookshelf back there, and I'm kind of doing a visual search of it to see if I see anything marked top secret from 1990. Right, right, the Golden era. Well, look, he
1: can maybe help us understand why it seems like Joe Manchin is always going for a old joke miscongeniality among the <laughs> Democrats uh, by occasionally telling the truth, but to unravel all this, a dear old friend of mine, the man who got me invited to and thrown out of the White House uh, back in the in the Bush administration, the opinionator, the whatever your fancy title is at the bulwark, Great Patriot, great friend, who is it? I'm giving him the super build-up, the one and only Mister
0: Bill Crystal. Oh my God! Hey, Bill, I, that was that was that was an unusual build-up, and I much appreciated it, of course. And yeah, I would like to say for the record, Mike was thrown out of the White House in late 1991 when I brought him to a meeting. I was Quell's chief of staff, and we got to bring sort of one political type. And Mike said, "You know, Bush's numbers are pretty good now, but the right track, wrong track is terrible, and I'm pretty worried about the reelection." Much scoffing at Murphy ensued, much displeasure at me for bringing Murphy to the meeting ensued. (laughs) Mike was never invited to another meeting, and Mike's analysis that Bush would probably end up around where the right track number was, which was 38%, turned out to be totally correct.
2: Yeah, he he does that crap all the time, which is why he's sitting here with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true.
1: I never knew the White House had a secret garbage entrance where the floor would open up and you'd be rocketed into the East Lawn. But uh, it was a character building experience. And Bill and I have been in the, trying to save the damn Republican Party business for a while. But let's talk
0: about saving the Democratic Party. And that's been going great, Axe. That's that. Yeah. You know, we got that Republican Party. And since we got involved, it's just been yeah, clockwork one, one height to another. That's amazing. <laughs> it's
2: amazing the work you guys have done. <laughs> So anyway, back to the clip, though. I'm sure it's a great frustration to the White House because it isn't the same thing. It is true that, uh, you know, Joe Biden shouldn't have classified documents in his possession. Uh, They were from six years ago and earlier than that from his Senate years. Uh, But he shouldn't have them in his possession. It's obviously a mistake. It would be good for him to say, yeah, that was a screw up. You know, yep. uh, that's the missing part, by the way. Yeah, that's not what he does. He doesn't do that well. That's not one. That's not like in his in his, That's not like in his songbook. I know. No, he's terrible at it. They got to understand
1: is misdemeanor burglary and murder the same thing. No, but they both involve handcuffs. You know, the optics yeah. of this of what he's getting killed on and they bungled it. Bill, you, you you know how it works to wrap up a VP office. Why don't you
0: give us your take and walk us through? Well, I mean, first of all, Will Salton has a good piece of the bulwark today. I mean, for him to stand up and read a statement, not just say it off the cuff, see his thin skin, we understand that. But he read a statement, presumably prepared, you know, signed off on by others, um, seen by others at least, that there's no there there. That was on Thursday afternoon. He knew that the House hadn't been thoroughly searched at that point. He probably knew that it was going to be searched the next day on Friday, and they did find a few more documents. So, there are many things one can say, many of them true, about how this is nothing like Trump. There was no attempt to, you know, uh, I mean, it's just, it's it, 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 in that yeah, respect, no it's very different. Uh, probably no malice, probably no obstruction, all that. Be, but to say there's no there, there just opens you up to, well, wait a second. There are actually classified documents. They're in sort of several yeah. different places. It's not clear exactly how secure they were. It's not clear who else might have had access to them. Probably it's all nothing or very little. I mean, for yes. that way, old documents with very unlikely people were looking for them. In these places, though, that has to be looked into by the FBI. And then, what's striking to me is Biden said that, and then the White House spokespeople said that over the weekend that they picked up that there's no there there mantra. They think that's a successful talking point. It's not the worst talking point they could have. I think.
2: One thing I will say about this, I think what happened at the outset is that they found the documents, and they knew right away they didn't want to be in the position Trump was. Of having you know brazenly and uh admittedly you know just taking hundreds of classified documents, trump of course being trump uh declares that he spread pixie dust over them, they immediately became unclassified, and he could take them you know there's a there's law there's laws and rules about taking documents that aren't classified too, but not that 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 what he gave was a plausible answer, uh, and I think what they says we're not. Gonna, and the the way Trump got in trouble was by saying uh, you know stipulate having his lawyer stipulate that the government got everything back, and then that wasn't true. So I think their their thing was we don't want to get in that bag. That's what's got him in obstruction of justice. So we're going to call in the government, and they're going to conduct these searches, and we're not going to say anything about it. Uh, Until the searches are done. Well, the story got leaked, so that didn't work. And there have been multiple releases. And, uh, you know, I I just think, as I said at the beginning, you know, sometimes you just got to say this was a screw up. It's embarrassing. I'm as eager to find out how it happened as anybody. But no one should be, ha- no one should have classified documents, not presidents, not vice presidents. Uh, I feel strongly about it. And I'm glad we're going to get to the bottom of it.
0: Yeah, you want to be the anti-Trump. Just open it all up. I also don't understand why the White House is in the middle of this. Obviously, Vice President Biden is not President Biden. So there's gonna be some exposure, so to speak, or some comment maybe from the White House. But the obvious thing to do is to say, for the White House press secretary and White House counsel to say, Look, this is not about anything present that's happened in this White House. Right. President Biden's private lawyers. Who are not being paid by the taxpayers are handling this competently and professionally with instructions from the president, the now president, President Biden, to be totally cooperative. They're working with the Department of Justice. You should ask each of them for comments as appropriate. They'll make them. We are staying out of this. I think the idea that the White yeah. House press secretary is commenting yeah. on it, that the White House, I Council like it, pin
1: it on Obama. That's what it <laughs>
0: happened. Yeah, exactly. The White House counsel is showing up. What, Let
1: what,
2: those guys own it. What did you know, Axelrod? On advice of counsel, I can't answer that question.
1: <laughs> yeah. I look just this thing is, is on two planes plane one is the legal stuff plane two is the politics of it and, and trump was in real trouble yeah and it has stunned me the the keystone cop thing because trump was full of malice he evaded it worse than a thousand ways but for them to sit on it for Five, six weeks. Now, I get four days before the election, it comes over somebody's desk. Okay, we're not going to close the midterms on this. But a week after, when you're right. riding high, right. you 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 announce this thing like a new paint job in the situation room. And as Bill right. says, hand it off to the lawyers and be Mr. Cooperate, Mr. Transparency, Mr. Everything Trump isn't. So you can ride the contrast if you're stuck in this mess. And instead, they go
2: to Nixon school and clamp down. Yeah, I mean, the only issue there is they can't be Mr. Transparency transparency once you hand it over to the government right because you're not really in control of the investigations so. right, right but
1: no you can just you can set yourself up as a total contrast to the way Trump handled it, because you want to get the character contrast between the two guys. You hand it off and say, oh, totally cooperating. We're explaining it. It, it is," a, and, right. and you take the mea culpa. It, it is a staff screw-up. It's not malicious. It's not a scam. It's a
2: screw-up, not a scam. So let's talk about the politics, because, you know, Washington, everything starts as a five-alarm fire, and then you don't really know exactly what, the, the, what kind of fire it was until the fire is put out and some time passes. Um, You guys think this is a 5 line fire, defined by something that will materially impact him going forward? I think
1: it's an opportunity cost for them. It gets in the way of the big contrast. Do I think the presidential election will hinge on it? No. Mm -hmm. Do I think it kind of hobbles Biden and denies him the ability to have a clear media channel to move forward? Yes. And does it show me that the same problems that got everybody thinking he's going to really have trouble in the reelect are still there, the execution and messaging problems? Mm -hmm. Yes. So not a five alarm
0: fire, but damaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the media, as you say, acts as, yes, into the, they make everything a five alarm fire to start This struck me when I was talking to a reporter, I guess Saturday, just three days ago. Maybe it was Friday afternoon, even. And someone said, boy, that's big news, huh? And I had just been back from Germany a week before and they just, the, the news had just come out that we hadn't agreed with the Germans to send the tank, the Germans hadn't agreed to send the tanks, you know, to Ukraine and stuff. And I said, yes, yeah, unfortunate the Germans aren't doing this. Maybe I wonder if Biden could have done more to pressure them, persuade them. And the reporters looked at me like I was crazy and said, no, no, no of course I'm talking about the documents. So the White House reporters and DC is very into this story and, as they do There's get-
2: another element of this bill, which is They are desperate to show that they're going to be even-handed about this. I mean, you know, the the Republicans and Trump have so branded the media as uh, as biased because they cover all of Trump's antics, Uh, and uh, and you know, an antics is is probably too uh, lighthearted a word.
0: I think this does change things in this way. I think the White House had a decent chance two three weeks well, a few weeks ago to make the House Republicans after the McCarthy speaker's election and stuff look like a bunch of lunatics to Mm semi-discredit the investigations before they began. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they still were going to happen and they might find things and that's if they do, they do. But I think they're much... We could very hard to say to the House Republicans, you're not allowed to ask questions now. I mean, if I were Jim Jordan, I would sort of say, look, I mean, these things were in a house. Hunter Biden was in that house. We need to talk to Hunter Biden. Did you look at these documents, or or at least we Mm -hmm. need to be assured the Justice Department is doing a real investigation, not just Mm a not just a Biden-friendly, you know, some token questions and taking the president's word for it. So I I think that the dynamics of the House Republicans, who are I'm no fan of theirs to say the least, I think Democrats have been a little too confident that they're going to discredit yeah, themselves and and i i think this has helped them say okay things have to be looked into
1: and by the way the dems are all chortling the you know the Republicans have put their chief nuts on the oversight committee which is true but the democrat nuts are on the same committee aoc to uh presley squad city they ought to move them off because this is just going to become a silly food fight and that's bad for biden because trump's already a clown but the more biden gets pulled into that it's a downside
2: I always have to push back a little on you when you compare AOC to like those guys. Uh, The fact is, AOC probably asked the most probing question during the impeachment of Michael Cohen when she asked him, did the Trumps overvalue and undervalue their properties in order to get tax advantages and loans? And he said yes, and that triggered a whole- A whole probe. So, you know, she, fair she, enough. But
1: I, I stick with they're not equivalent, but I I take the Pelosi view of the squad massively unhelpful uh, being on the same committee.
0: But also, as Charlie Sykes says, what is it? Clowns with flamethrowers can still do a lot of damage. I mean, that's what I think the yeah. Democrats have under. They so they have such contempt. And believe me, I do, too, for of, these of House the Republicans, Republicans yeah. that they sort of aren't being serious enough about. Fighting back and who on the outside inside the White House can't fight back. It's inappropriate. Is there an organization set up on the outside to do real time counterattacks on and every day of House Republican investigations? I think there needs to be. There will be. You can't count on voters just saying, Oh, that seems a little excessive. You know,
2: feels to me like right now they have, they're operating out of the, uh, the council's office. They hired Ian Sams, who's a communications guy. I think he may have been with Kamala in the in the primaries. Uh, who was he with? But anyway, uh, Ian Sams is a very competent communications guy. He seems to be handling all of this, but yeah, it could get bigger and more complicated. So, okay, here's my, you know, Murphy, because you're an Anglophile, you, you, and you know what lady, is it Clementine or Clementine? Clementine, right? Said to, I don't know. You, you've stumped the expert here. I'm more of a Francophile, but go ahead. When Churchill lost his leadership position after World War II, she said, well, this is a blessing in disguise. And he said, well, it's, if so, it's very well disguised. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, my blessing in disguise, weird theory about this, I don't even believe it, but I'm going to say it, which is I think that Biden's reelect in many ways hinges on Trump. And I think he wants Trump to be the nominee of the Republican Party. I'm not saying he manufactured this to help Trump, but this certainly yeah. helps Trump. Because it takes well, yeah. one of the big uh, issues off, kind of off
1: the table. Yeah, we're diving into old three-dimensional chess here, Spock. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but you know, you, you, no, look, I think Biden thinks, I mean, all presidents, good and bad, are slightly egotistical, right? Can we agree on that? Yes. Maybe egomaniacal. So Biden's thinking Trump is a threat to the country. I beat him before. I'll beat him this time. I'm the only guy who can really do it. So guess what? I got to run. I mean, it's very convenient logic chain for Biden. And, yeah, this has been good for Trump. Now, I still don't think he's going to get nominated, but, you know, we've debated that for years. I I do think uh, if there's a winner in this, it's Trump because he can use the cynical tool of equivalence. Everybody does it. And take this thing away. Now, legally, it may not go away,
2: but in the optics of it, well, I think it's harder for the Justice Department. I really do. I think it's going to be pretty hard to give Biden a, just a, a, a rap on the knuckles and a yep. uh, and then uh, indict Trump, even though Trump is is being accused of far more serious things. So let me. I totally agree. Let me just quickly echo something Bill said, though. You
1: can't forget the layoff rule, the old saw about don't think of an elephant and. We're all thinking about an elephant. So the Republicans, with their microphone they're going to have in the House, as much as it's scoffed at, stuff will break through and deconstruct. You know, where are the Hunter Biden secret cocaine files in Biden's garage? I mean, it'll just never end. And it has a way of permeating, even if it's ridiculous. It's
2: not that big a garage, you know, from what I can see. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) But uh, by
0: Axelrod standards, you know, Yeah,
2: that's
1: true. true. You can you can see his on Google Earth. Bill, when you were at the White House and things, how how does the secure document thing work? Because the average person must think it's totally out of control there. What's the
0: normal procedure? Because you were a White House chief of staff for a VP. For a VP. Yeah. I was there a long time ago and it was paper documents, not nearly so much in this kind of primitive email back in the day. And I think it's gotten harder to keep control of these things, but classified documents. Axe mentioned that, you know, there's government records and personal records. That's one of the things you sort out in those last, you sort out throughout, but you sort out Mm -hmm. those last two, three months. You can take personal stuff with you, you know, a note birthday card from your kids or something. Uh, government stuff, you can sometimes take copies, but it's not secret or anything, but they, the government, has the right, the National Archives, keep the government records. Classified in my day was tracked pretty carefully, especially if it was at all sensitive. You know, you got a document, it had a cover sheet, and they called you the next day if, if you hadn't given it back to them, or you said, I've got it in my safe, I'll give it back to you in two days, I need to look at it again before I see the vice president or something. And certainly stuff that went into the vice president and president was tracked extremely carefully. There's an executive secretary, excellent, all this, and you know, who who mm-hmm. follows the paper, that's how the archives knew what Trump had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how they knew Trump stuff was missing. I mean, there's a, that's why the desks in the Oval Office and in the Vice President's Office are so clean, because people come in and say, okay, this paper has to go here, this one could be filed there. If the President wants to look at this one in on the resident, it's fine, but we need to also know that he's got it there, If it's, certainly if it's classified. Now, I talked to someone who's been in the White House much more recently than I, and he said that these days you can sort of, if it's not too sensitive, you Xerox some State Department talking points to have an extra copy when you go in and see your boss, the Vice President, let's say, before he makes the phone call to the British Prime Minister or something. And, you know, maybe by mistake, he sticks it in a pile. It, it doesn't have the, mm-hmm. the the markings. Likely what have markings yeah. on it. That can happen. But the fact that there's some of them all over the place, the fact that he's got some from the Senate, that f- – I talked to an ex-senator the other day. That They don't have access to much classified stuff, except in the skiff, except in the one place. So I'm a little, I think he didn't do anything really wrong. I think it's a little carelessness. But I think people are being a little too quick to assume that, oh my God, it's really complicated. It's like packing up your house at the last minute. Stuff gets in the wrong place. Classified documents are different from other documents, I think. You guys
2: think, I mean, I keep thinking about this. If Trump actually runs, and even if he starts to run and doesn't run, Maybe we talked about this before, but I just can't see him not kind of tearing the whole house down. Like, I, I just can't see him kind of not You mean not if he being, doesn't
1: run, just grabbing yeah. the sidelights and still—yeah, I think that'll be his attempt. Yeah,
2: especially if he does run and doesn't get nominated.
1: Yeah, then being the kamikaze.
2: Do you think he's going to stand up and, uh, you know, filled with praise for the person who beats him? No, no. He'll be a madman. I, I think it's more likely that he's going to say that they're all part of the swamp. They tried to stop us. This is a problem for the Republican Party. You know, he's he's a, he's con- he is forever the hostage holder in the in the in the grocery story. You know,
0: I think it's a big problem. Maybe Stoddard wrote an excellent about this actually a year or two ago. Way ahead of the curve, sort of on the Republicans are damned if they nominate Trump in some ways, and damned if they don't nominate Trump, perhaps. On the other hand, practically speaking, if he loses the nomination, unless he literally runs or supports someone else running as a third or fourth party candidate, um, he can scream and yell. And at the end of the day, there's such polarization that don't you think 98% of Republican voters end up, of Trump voters end up sticking with the Republican? Maybe there's some drop off in Trump sort of specific turnout. I think this increase, but if Trump is fading, as Mike thinks a little more strongly than I do, but I tend to agree, I think this ch- increases the chances that neither Trump nor Biden is the nominee honestly and I think Biden thinks that he can beat Trump and that he's the one who could beat Trump we don't know if that's true of course but four months six months from now if Trump doesn't look like he's going to be the nominee then Biden really should say I'm I've been a successful one term president it's been a great honor let's play the clip of Bill's uh, great bulwark colleague
1: the idea of Joe Biden was was running because he was the only one that could beat Donald Trump. Mm. I don't think that's true anymore. And I think that just about any Republican who's not named Donald Trump will beat Joe
2: Biden
0: that's sarah longwell yeah i mean this who uh my colleague, publisher you know, of the bulwark who had a wonderful time out at uh, the institute of politics uh, uh we'll talk about
2: that at the end yeah she, she was a great
0: fellow. she's now voting in mayoral elections there just like me all right uh, you cannot you do not if you're a democrat you do not want to let the republicans be the party of generational change nominating exactly. conceivably a semi-normal governor or you know some senator or something you've got a good but they've got a good bench the democrats and they won in swing states in 2022 i think they'd be much better off going to Taking a little bit of a gamble on a messy primary, but going for a generational change in twenty twenty
1: four. I think mid sized gamble. That's the problem. I mean, I totally agree with that logic. I think Biden is more vulnerable. The age thing is going to be huge. And if I, if you believe like I do, Trump is fading. If you're the Democrats, you can spend a lot of time feeling good about Trump. He might be the nominee. He might be all true. He's a big problem for the R's. But the scenario you got to work is: what happens if Trump fades away? Isn't the center of the election. How do we still win if they run a generational candidate against what we have? And I, I'm very sympathetic to Bill's argument, open it up, let a primary compete. But the Democratic primary electorate is capable of nominating a pretty weak candidate. They have a great bench, but I don't know if the great bench will win. So it's fraught with risk either way. I'd probably take the gamble if I were the Dems because I'm, I'm so concerned about Biden six months from now. But it, it's a hard call. And I can see why the inertia is to stick with Biden. He's a Trump beater. He's the incumbent. You're not going to beat him anyway in a primary, et cetera, et cetera. But Biden ought to think about that. He really ought to uh,
2: uh, when he makes his decision. Listen, guys, I think he wants to be president. Yeah, that is a factor. I mean, it's something yes. he wanted all his life. He got elected to the Senate in 1972. And Bill and I, you're, you're just a kid, Murphy. Bill and I uh, remember all the presidential chatter that accompanied Biden. Before he was even of age to run for president, he was the new Kennedy. He was the hot thing. Pat Cadell, you know, he's Pat Cadell's guy.
1: Yeah, but then he had the speech writing team of Xerox and Conica. Yeah. And it all melted down. Your point is taken. It's been a long march. What
2: a car car will say, "Running, running for president is like sex. You don't just do it once and forget about it. Well, being president is like that, too. I mean, I've said it a bunch of times. And you guys could agree with me or disagree with me on this that's the way the show works. But (laughs) I think as a consultant, I could take Biden's record, at least as we're sitting here today, and I could get the guy reelected president if he were 60 years old. Hell, 68. I mean, I have no, I think he's got plenty of things to his credit. I think history is going to be greater to him than I've said it before. History is going to be much better to him than voters are right now. Uh, I think the, the issue is actuarial, not political. And it's a pretty difficult argument to defeat and he's got the added uh, problem that his vp is not held in wide esteem and she's the backup no they're they're
1: holding a they got a balsa wood firewall here but they do have the trump specter and trump is capable of delivering them the white house again but boy i if i were them i'd be uh i'd be i think as you are quite concerned and now they've got this thing to clog up the what should have been their great year of offense.
2: Another danger for Republicans is trying too hard to court the Trump base and painting themselves too far. You know, I know that uh, I know there's a lot of uh, DeSantis, De, uh, you know, DeSantis talk out there and a lot of DeSantis enthusiasm. Uh, but man, you know, I don't know. I mean, he seems to me, despite what happened in Florida in the election he sure seems like a a base-centric candidate right now. I mean, and that doesn't include, you know, the fact that he's never been known as a warm and fuzzy guy. I mean, everybody was like, uh, you
1: know. (laughs) He doesn't have that Obama common touch, but I
2: I actually I wrote a piece that everybody was so thrilled because he had a fundraiser down in Florida of high roller donors, and he actually deigned to go around the room and say hello to people. It's like, oh, wow. So, Bill, what's your take on
1: DeSantis? Axe brought up a good point about DeSantis. I tend to think on paper he's rocket fuel, but running for president isn't how you look on paper. It's how you go through a very tough process and get really looked at.
0: There hasn't been a successfully reelected governor who was touted as the frontrunner and was, in a way, the frontrunner of his party. Uh, since 2015, when Scott Walker was uh, going to be the Republican yeah. nominee, and that and, yeah, and work out, yeah. It. And I had friends, young friends, who went to work for Walker. That was going to be the, you know, and, the, and Walker was a respectable guy who won in a tough state twice or well, three times, maybe with a recall, right? And uh, so, I, I, DeSantis has a little bit of that feel to me. I don't know. I think the question is along Mike's line, I mean, if, if Trump fades, how much has Trumpism fade, faded? Does it stop, Does the Trumpism sort of meet, uh, meter, uh, stop at DeSantis with all the performative culture war stuff, but semi-competent governance maybe? Or does it move beyond it to a Youngkin or to Brian Kemp in Georgia who actually stood up to Trump? I mean-
2: Yeah. yeah, I think Kemp is actually a sleeper in this deal. I mean, I kind of always thought that uh, you can see DeSantis and Trump kind of posting up be- under the hoop in the the basketball, the rebound goes somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. and that it's smart to hang around the hoop. But, uh, you know, one thing about Yunkin, I don't know if you guys saw this story. Chuck Todd flagged it in his tip sheet about uh, Yunkin coming out in opposition to a Ford plant in rural Virginia. So this is a function of a one-term governorship in Virginia where you can't run again 2500 jobs and he said no we're not going to accept them because they have a partnership with some chinese outfit this it was a uh, manufacturing of of uh, electric car batteries uh, so of course Gretchen Whitmer who was in competition for this said swell Breonna, michigan we're all set to accept these 2500 jobs but it was you know that to me said this dude's running for president. I mean, he's he's running for president. oh, totally
1: pure primary politics, and I I think it was an incredibly boneheaded move. I uh, I criticized the uh, um, the former administration uh, pre Trump on the uh, on the Boeing thing. Uh, where you know they were against the Boeing plant in South Carolina for the same reason. I get the politics of it. It was a labor issue there. But boy, oh boy, that's a bad thing for Virginia.
2: And it's the second time that he's made a mistake, right? Because after Nancy yeah. Pelosi's husband was uh, Paul Pelosi was attacked, he made a joke about it at an event. That attack, by the way, I think was actually material in the outcome of the midterm election. Uh,
1: Another not ready for prime time bit of evidence.
2: He's been in, he's been in politics for two years or three years. Uh, and you know, there, this is not, it's not, uh, this isn't, uh, you know, beanbag. It's hard. Yeah, I think Kemp and Scott are underrated right now
1: for exactly those reasons. Yeah, and we'll see. You know, uh, you learn by letting them go
2: perform. You know, back to Biden for a second. They leaked that he'd be leaving. Uh, that Ron Klain would be leaving as chief of staff, who's been there for two years. Jeff Zients, former head of the NEC under Obama, uh, it, you know, saved the ACA. After the computer system went down, uh, you know, uh, managed the uh, COVID vaccine issue for uh, for Biden. He's going to be the chief of staff. You know, I know uh, Zients. He's a and he's a very very smart and very uh, personable guy and very able. He's made a lot of money in uh, in the tech world. Well,
1: in the great Mitt Romney tradition, he's a Bain alum, which yeah. makes me want to like him. But is he political enough for a reelect?
2: You just set me up, brother. That's my question. That's, what do you yeah, think? That's why I'm here. I, I it know. worried me. I, mean, I know.
1: He's a master bureaucrat. Get it done. Might even be a good president. But to steer the communications hobbled Biden White House with all their pending political problems through a reelect? I, I don't get it. Bill, do you
0: know him? What's your take? I mean, Axe, isn't the way you guys did this in 2011-12? Yeah. That you went out to the, do the campaign. Pluff was in the White House right. steering it. And Jack Lew, who's not that political, I think somewhat like science. Right, maybe, no, he's not, yeah. chief of staff. So who's the equivalent of Pluff? I guess, would be the question.
2: Well, Anita Dunn, and I think she's the big winner in this, uh, I think that Anita's going to have a lot more power and authority in the White House uh you know, I don't know what Jen O'Malley-Dillon, whether she's going to leave the White House. I mean, she runs a lot of sort of the nuts and bolts politics. But in terms of political messaging and so on, and I think, and Anita's told people, yeah, I'm going to do what Pluff did. I'm going to, you know, sort of help run the campaign uh, from inside. But but, but isn't in the, in, in the
1: cool, cerebral Obama-Vulcan world, I can see it working. I don't think anything happens in the White House that's not 20 feet away from Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Because he operates more like a Senate leader, small core group, et cetera, et cetera. So
2: I'm not sure that model is going to work with Joe, but we'll see. I mean, Klein has basically operated as a prime minister. Exactly. I mean, you know, he's he's incredibly... He's completely incredibly well versed in Washington. He's you know he's been there for thirty five years. Uh, he, he you know worked with Biden for years. Biden trusted him. He had the ability to go in and tell Biden what he needed to know. And uh, he also he's you know I saw Ron Klain basically run uh, the Recovery Act in two thousand mm-hmm. and and uh, and nine when we got there. And that was you know by today's standards you know it was only you know eight hundred. Eight hundred million dollars going out the door, but uh, it was remarkably well done. I mean, he's a good manager and he knows how to keep a lot of balls in the air. Uh, so I, I think that he will be missed. I mean, he, you know, look, there are people who who uh, blame him for Biden tacking too far left. You hear that and so on, but. At the end of the day, he's a very, very cool and very political old Washington hand. Yeah, I think he's irreplaceable in that world. I'm, I'm one of those
1: critics on the left, but he's a good guy, a friend of mine, and he, he had the special sauce to deal with Biden that is not something you just find on the shelf.
2: That is not going to be an easy job when the missiles are flying at 1600 yeah. Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, you know, down Pennsylvania Ave- Avenue from the House. Uh, it's going to be a much more unpleasant experience to be in and around the White House. And, you know, um, uh, Jonathan Alter wrote, a, a, I think, a pretty tough piece in the New York Times, uh, some of which I agreed with and some of which I didn't uh, this weekend. But he said, you know, the Corvette answer when Biden sort of snapped at uh, Peter Ducey from Fox and said, by the way, my Corvette was locked. You know, when he said when the, when uh, Ducey from Fox asked how that how could you possibly keep the documents with your car? I mean, it would just seemed like a off
1: key. <laughs> well, that's the difference. You see, if you leave the classified documents in your
2: car with the door unlocked, <laughs> that would be a security threat. But if you lock it, what I'm saying is. Biden's geniality is part of what people like about him. If he turns into Clint Eastwood from Gran Torino chasing kids <laughs> off the lawn, uh, yeah. that that's not good. And it's got to be the chief of staff who gives him comfort, who can help control that. Uh, I don't know whether Zients has that kind of relationship with him. I don't know whether Anita, who's a newcomer to the group, uh, quite has that uh Relationship with him, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this all congeals. And just one more complication, as as I'm told that he's going to sort of begin announcing co-chairs for his reelect next month.
0: In his mind, it's full speed ahead. Bill, watch your phone. I've heard from the White House a few times when I volunteered the opinion that Biden should consider not running again, that I really (laughs) respect the job he's done. I've defended him pretty close to across the board, honestly. He's he's on foreign policy, which I care a lot about. He's been after i think a very bad afghanistan performance he's been excellent in the last year and really that's the most important thing probably plus the getting us just recover getting us back to normalcy basically mm-hmm. post-covid and, and and inflation will now come down he he really could be this is for the, me the
2: infrastructure bill the
0: chips yeah bill. the tragedy of it for me is he really could be I, I think it's hard if you've been around washington for all of us being a successful president means you win two i'm terms. in
2: chicago brother <laughs> You've
0: been watching. A I'm bit. in Los Angeles. <laughs> the, you can oh hear the God, gunfire. Look at these guys. Oh, I've I've never been there. What's the What's the name of that <laughs> yeah. big street in the middle of the town? The pe- was it a Michigan Avenue, Wisconsin Avenue? I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, quote the late Rush Limbaugh. Murphy
1: addicted to Georgetown cocktail parties. Uh, though I lived in Georgetown.
0: I defend Biden. I just want to say what I defend Biden but I, uh, they, are, they are insular and thin-skinned and that does come from the top down a little bit. I mean, all White Houses are. I totally take yeah. that point. Believe me. I was there and we were insular and thin-skinned thin-skin too. But you do need to have some people inside who push a little bit back against that even if like Murphy they get thrown out of the meeting and stuff. And it's only one reason Bush lost in 92 which he didn't deserve to in my opinion. He was a good president. Because he threw Mike Murphy out. Is because he wouldn't listen though to people saying to our messaging on the economy is not going well. People don't leave you when, when you say it's all going to be fine, even though it turned out to be fine next year and so forth. So, you do need to have those contrary vo- contrarian voices in there somewhere.
2: Not to wax uh, nostalgic about the guy I work for, but he was very good about listening to opinions. You know, he didn't always like them. Sometimes, you know, he pushed back, but he was secure enough to invite them. And it was always very uh, wholesome and important that he wanted to hear all the arguments. And uh, I think that that's important. But anyway, Joe Biden is, is, you know, he's my friend. I, I really enjoyed working with him. I think he was a huge asset for us when I was there in the two years that I was there that I observed. And I think he's done his country a tremendous service. And I think if he did decide to leave, there would be parades for him and not no and no, not just to get because he's leaving town. (laughs) <laughs> uh, will be, par- there'd be parades for him because he stepped no, up would. at a critical moment for this country and literally saved the country and then did some very constructive things.
1: Look, he got more done in domestic policy and it now sounds like we're, you know, we're giving an obituary here, but than any president in a generation. So there, there are a whole lot of things he could take the bow for, but he's not going to take the bow.
0: He's, he's naming co-chairs. And the Washington and Cincinnati thing would be a good way to close it out. I mean, where if you run, right. you either win or lose. If you win, you have a second term at age 82, 83, and all, who knows what happens then. And if you lose, you sort of go out at least temporarily on a low note like President Bush did in 92, even though historians later decided he was a good president. But if you lose also, you're letting Trump or a somewhat Trumpy Republican win the White House, probably then hold the House and win the Senate. I mean, that's there's an awful lot at stake in that's 24. That's the downside. There's an awful lot at stake in 24.
2: Yeah. That's uh, two years away, or a year and a half away. <laughs> in weeks, in a matter of weeks, there's going to be a mayor's race right here in my city of Chicago. It's a really weird one. Uh, yeah, you want to sketch out the, the yeah, battlefield, and then we have some ads. There are tons of uh, candidates, but there really are really there are three principal candidates, and a fourth on the outside who's, who could have an impact on the race. But the incumbent mayor Lori Lightfoot is deeply unpopular. Uh, uh, you know, because at a lot, almost everything is about the public safety issue. It's, it's issue number one, two, and three in Chicago. And there are other issues. She's, she's a very much of a loner. She's kind of irascible. She picks fights often and sometimes gratuitously. She's, you know, also a great story and I think she's working hard at it and she's an African- American candidate so there's she released a poll yesterday showing her at 25 percent in the primary ahead of her the next person Paul Vallis a former city education and official and budget official uh, by a few points and then chewy Garcia the congressman who was uh, down at 18 percent but you know, I don't know. If I'm the incumbent mayor, am I thrilled that I'm there in the mid-20s? No, I'm not. I'm worried about getting in the runoff. And
1: tell me if this is an oversimplification, but Paul Vallis... Is the white guy with the cop support? Is the yeah. sharp pencil going to turn it all around mm-hmm. in a cynical electorate? She's the embattled incumbent, and Chewy, who has a congressional base, is the most progressive candidate.
2: Well, and a and a Hispanic base. I mean, yeah. look, there's so much as ethnic base in politics. There are half a dozen black candidates, I think, running. Paul Vallis has the Northwest and Southwest sort of ethnic vote, kind of to himself. Chewy has the Hispanic vote, kind of to himself. So they've got undisrupted uh basis but what's interesting to me and this is why i wanted i wanted to i mean lifewood has clearly made a strategic decision Vallis is running a very smart campaign because and it's being run by our old friend joe trippy by the way mm. mark melman is doing the polling the mm. ads are all about crime everything is about public safety you, you can't you'd have to be completely obtuse to miss the message of these ads they're not fancy they're well done
1: yeah he's standing in the snow talking directly to camera what What? you want to hear one to kind of set the table here we have a valis ad
0: crime is out of control and combative
2: leadership is failing us paul Vallis will put crime and your safety first I'll
0: work with every community and every part of our city to confront our crime problem, hold department leadership accountable, put more police on our streets and public transportation,
2: open schools after hours to ensure young Chicagoans have safe alternatives to gangs and violence. And I'll bring people together to get it done. Paul Vallis, crime and your safety is his top priority. So he's, I think, got a, a, a well-conceived plan and now he's been running ads for several weeks I think he probably is right in the hunt at the, toward the top. Um, the mayor has been running ads since the, uh, since the fall, but here's an ad that she ran against Chewy Garcia, uh, who is the Hispanic congressman, big base in the progressive community, Right. and I want to talk about why she ran this ad. Go ahead and run the ad.
1: What do we really know about Chewy Garcia? Chewy secretly talked with this crypto crook who stole his customer's life savings, then spent a fortune to re-elect Garcia. Chewy
2: cut deals to help himself with the since-indicted Mike Madigan, even while the disgraced speaker faced a federal corruption investigation. And Chewy took money from a red light camera company
1: just hours before he delivered the deciding vote that made the company millions. Crypto crooks indicted Pauls and pay-to-play profiteers. The more you know, the worse it
2: gets. Well, here's what I think is going on here. They think they can beat Paul Vallis. They're worried about whether they can beat Chewy Garcia. And uh, it may be that Chewy was holding some votes. She thinks she needs to get in the runoff. But, uh, you know, Vallis uh, who's a friend of mine. They're all friends of mine, but Vallis, uh, you know, he was, uh, after he left, uh, his jobs at the city, he ran for office a couple of times. He went down to New Orleans to run the schools and, uh, left there and there was some controversy about that went to philly and ran the schools left there went to bridgeport connecticut uh and uh left there at some point in there he ran chicago state university for for a short period of time and so you know there's a story to be told about him but i have to tell you if people become convinced that he is the guy who will make them safer i'm not sure that any negative ads are going to take him down Th- that's my take I I think one well, I think that
1: chewie is the classic. Script writing by it's too dense, too much, it's confusing, it's very inside. But but the biggest tell in the campaign to me has been her latest ad, with crime is the big issue, with ballots making progress on it. They clearly had the most dangerous thing in an incumbent campaign in trouble, the meeting. We got to make a big move. So they did a crime ad, which features an African American man yeah, yeah with kind tell, of a wise yeah, demeanor yeah. walking and talking to the camera. So let's listen to it.
2: You wouldn't know it by watching the news or listening to the haters. But on crime, Mayor Lightfoot's got a plan. She's putting more police on the streets and getting more guns off them. When it comes to new strategies, new technology, Lightfoot's invested more than any mayor. Those are facts. Anyone that says there are simple solutions is lying. We didn't get here overnight, and we have a long way to go. But Lightfoot won't quit until we're the safest big city in America.
1: That tells me that crime's cutting bad. Of course, yeah. It's yeah. massively defensive, and so I, yeah. I think that could be the death rattle, and she may not make it into the runoff.
2: This does not match the lived experience of people in the city Exactly. Of Nobody's so, going to believe it. So in, in a way, that ad could really hurt her. Right. That's where I'm going. I don't know who's going to be in the runoff. It could be Chewy and Vallis. That's kind of a natural thing, right? I mean, they line up well. Chewy's got to get on the air. All I know about this
1: race, which is fascinating, is I, of course, will be voting for all three candidates several times.
0: Bill, who are you for? Are you a Vallis voter? I'm riding an Axelrod. Why isn't the, where is the <laughs> Axelrod boomlet? You know, the write-in boomlet for the man, I know, the I'm myth, waiting. the legend, David Axelrod.
2: Bill, I know you have to you have to run and we may have to handle the mailbag without you, but um, I want to tell you how much I love you guys, not just because you're great to talk politics with, but you've both been, from the beginning, when I started this Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, you've both been on our board. You've both been deeply involved. Yeah, we're involved, founding board members. You conned board both members. of us simultaneously. I know. I know. And, and you know what? We profited greatly from it. So I don't feel guilty in the least. So we had a great celebration on Friday of those 10 years. We did, the 10-year anniversary.
1: Let me give you an accolade accolade here because it's been Axelrod week at the university of chicago bill and i were both there and we gave you a well-deserved salute because you're now moving on to needlepoint your new hobby (laughs) yes Uh, but there are a lot of people there and we are also grateful because you have done an amazing job with that institute
2: i'm doing a a blanket of you in needlepoint that We're going to Ooh. auction off on Hacks on Tap. Seriously, I, this thing was built through the contributions of so many people, and you guys were among them. And besides that, it just deepened our friendships, and uh, I really appreciate you guys. So I wanted to take a minute to thank you and to say how thrilling it was to see these alums come back who are just doing such impressive things in the world, and that is, of course, why we do the work. And so thank you, thank you, thank you to them, most of all, but to you guys for helping make this happen. So
0: well, thank you for including us, and you did a great I've been around universities a little bit, and they're not the easiest places to navigate and to get some good done, and you did a lot of good and the students uh uh what the students how much the students benefited is really the key tribute to you so so it's been great being mike and i have really enjoyed being tiny parts tiny cogs in the machine and unlike some some other machines in some other machines we've been part of we didn't even screw it up too much so that was good right <laughs> <laughs> we'd make trouble but <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's been a heroic effort, and you get the credit, man. Thank you. And Bill, do you want us to uh, do? You, do you want us to release you so you can go on to? Your, I I know you've got a secret cell meeting somewhere. I can't. Yeah, to I get can't. To.
0: I'd be shot if I'd be shot if I revealed where I was going now. But I, you guys <laughs> yeah. will do a good job with the mailbag. <laughs> <Okay>. uh,
1: Bill, <laughs> thank you so much. And everybody, check out the bulwark. Yeah, such a great read. Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed it. Right, that was our guest, Bill Crystal. All right, mailbag time. Let's play the music. It's listener. If you have a question, email it to us at hacksontap at gmail dot com. Hacksontap at gmail dot com. All right, Axe. The first question is for you. Austin wants to know: With Representative Ruben Gallego officially running for Senate in Arizona, how do you think Christian cinema? will approach her 2024 Senate prospects. You know, she has bad
2: numbers. She's talking about running as an independent. The plot's thickening there. Oh, definitely. This is is going to be one of the must-see races in the country. And Democrats, someone told me the other day that they thought that um, Schumer would stay out of the race because she's in the, you know, she's caucuses with Democrats, even though she now calls herself an independent. And they don't quite know how this is going to turn out. Gallego is now... Almost certainly going to be the Democrat nominee. And there's talk that Carrie Lake, even though she continues to shoot out tweets about the fact that she's actually the the governor of Arizona, that ship has left. And she apparently wants to ride a wave of resentment about the fictional fraud that took place to the senate um i think this is the scenario that cinema hopes for uh gallego is a kind of populist but he is you know identified as a progressive in a state that's pretty you know tens moderate Sixty uh, 60 uh, of it in uh the uh, phoenix area a lot of it in the suburbs uh, and she's hoping that uh, if Lake is in there and Gallego's in there, that she can run down the middle. The problem is, as we sit here today, she's not terribly popular with Republicans, right. independents, or Democrats. And this could end up being a Gallego uh, Lake race at the end of the day, uh, because cinema may take a look at it as this thing evolves and say, you know what? It's not there and uh and not run so we'll see but it's it's really going to be fascinating uh cinema's very talented uh, politician gallego uh, a talented and very um active politician we know carrie lake i mean this could be the question for the republicans mike is is there a way to beat lake and and perhaps have the former governor run or someone else who could exactly who would be a more moderate candidate i don't know if they
1: can Yeah, no, boy, those primary voters, uh, she's got a grip on them. And I think from now on, when we say Carrie Lake, we ought to have the sound effect of a lightning crack like a storm. There it is. There we go. I like it. Well done, Fox. I'll just say, if you're Ruben Gallego, this could really be your shot. Because you could do the squeeze play. And remember, you could win with 42% of the vote. Exactly. And a populist yeah. progressive can put that together. So a lot to happen here yet. Very dynamic. Yeah, but it is. It's going to be fun. He, he's making a smart move, move based on what he knows now. And
2: by the way, I thought his introductory video was really, really good. I uh, He's got I a, a good know. story. Yeah. He's got a great story. Poor guy who... You know, ended up at Harvard, and then enlisted and fought in Iraq. And
1: it just, Harvard gave him all those wacky progressive ideas. That's the one problem. But what can you do?
2: <laughs> Mike, Robert says, can you explain how super PACs work, in particular, how they aren't allowed to communicate with the campaign? It seems awfully naive to think that these organizations are raising tens of millions of dollars without any campaign involvement. You've run these super PACs. I've been around super PACs. So
1: as my partner, Matt Leonardo, at our firm. He's a real expert in them. So he, here's, here's what it's really about. It's really not about super PACs. They're just the entity that raise a ton of money and spend it, all disclosed. But it's an independent expenditure. That is a type of campaign where you're able to do a lot of campaign-like things, but you're not allowed to communicate with the candidate or use the candidate. You can't call up the campaign manager and say, hey, we're the super PAC. Next week, why don't we run all the ads on this topic? Then you save your money for 10 days, and you can't coordinate. Uh, You can coordinate a little bit on fundraising. The campaign can say, hey, we want our supporters, want to give more money, go to that super PAC. But it is illegal, and... Some people have actually gone to jail for breaking the coordination law, being far too pretty to go to jail. I've always, in super PACs I work, were lawyered up and, and scrupulous about not coordinating. Now, that said, super PACs pay a lot of attention right. to everything the campaign is doing. They kind of can, can kind of try to imagine hints. Sometimes the campaign's in the modern era, because the law's a little fuzzy, so people skirt around the edge not quite knowing where the edge is, They may put up a web video on YouTube that nobody sees and is not announced saying, boy, people would profit if we heard more in this campaign about Axelrod's ties to corrupt alderman Bobby Zocomoco. And then all of a sudden the (laughs) super PAC puts a million dollars behind an ad. So there are obtusive hand signals, but there can be no coordination. Right. And that's actually taken pretty seriously.
2: Campaigns are pretty deft and sophisticated at sending up smoke signals, doing a viral ad that's purposes mainly to communicate with the independent expenditure. Exactly. That's become kind of a new art form. In fairness, I think uh, Zakamutu was (laughs) uh, a better man than the jury did so right well
1: tomorrow there'll be an ad up saying don't believe the jury he's a better man well, we <laughs> will we, we'll take the hint over at the super pack and i'm going to quickly answer tim's question no our my pilot is it's all locked up in the cbs uh, archives sorry about that ways and means one day maybe we're we're trying to get him to let us have a viewing of it
2: this is a real disservice to the viewing public of america so i hope i hope we get <laughs> yeah to see it's it. not
1: about us it's their 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 normal uh, platform okay brother it's great to be with you all right my friend thank you it was great with crystal thanks y'all for yeah. listening we'll be back next week